Hello everyone, this is Chad Daigle, and I am now going to continue with episode four of my dramatic reading of R.A. Salvatore's The Legend of Drizzt, book one, Homeland, also known as book one of the Dark Elf Trilogy. Starting with chapter seven, Dark Secrets. Do you truly mean to try? Massage asked, his voice condescending and filled with disbelief. Alton turned his hideous glare on the student. Direct your anger elsewhere, faceless one, Massage said, averting his gaze from his mentor's scarred visage. I am not the cause of your frustration. The question is valid. For more than a decade you have been a student of the magical arts, Alton replied. Still you fear to explore the netherworld at the side of a master of sorcery. I would hope no fear would decide a true master, Massage dared to whisper. Alton ignored the comment, as he had with so many others. He had accepted from the apprenticing Hunet over the last sixteen years. Massage was Alton's only tie to the outside world, and while Massage had a powerful family, Alton had only Massage. They moved through the door into the uppermost chamber of Alton's four-room complex. A single candle burned there its light diminished by an abundance of dark-colored tapestries and the black hue of the room's stone and rugs. Alton slid onto his stool at the back of the small circular table and placed a heavy book down before him. It is a spell better left for clerics, Massage protested, sitting down across from the faceless master. Wizards command the lower planes. The dead are for the clerics alone. Alton looked around curiously, then turned a frown up at Massage. The master's grotesque features enhanced by the dancing candlelight. It seems that I have no cleric at my call, the faceless one explained sarcastically. Would you rather I try for another denizen of the Nine Hells? Massage rocked back in his chair and shook his head helplessly and emphatically. Alton had a point. A year before, the faceless one had sought answers to those questions by enlisting the aid of an ice devil. The volatile thing froze the room until it shone black in the infrared spectrum and smashed a matron mother's treasure hoard worth of alchemical equipment. If Massage hadn't summoned his magical cat to distract the ice devil, neither he nor Alton would have gotten out of the room alive. Very well, then, Massage said unconvincingly, crossing his arms in front of him on the table. Conjure your spirit and find your answers. Alton did not miss the involuntary shudder belied by the ripple of Massage's robes. He glared at the student for a moment, then went back to his preparations. As Alton neared the time of casting, Massage's hand instinctively went into his pocket to the onyx figurine of the hunting cat he had acquired on the day Alton had assumed the faceless one's identity. The little statue was enchanted with a powerful dwarmer that enabled its possessor to summon a mighty panther to his side. Massage had used the cat sparingly, not yet fully understanding the dwarmer's limitations and potential dangers. Only in times of need, Massage reminded himself quietly when he felt the item in his hand. Why was it that those times he kept occurring when he was with Alton? The apprentice wondered. Despite his bravado, this time Alton privately shared Massage's trepidation. 
Spirits of the dead were not as destructive as denizens of the lower plains, but they could be equally cruel and subtler in their torments. Alton needed his answer, though. For more than a decade and a half he had sought his information through conventional channels, inquiring of masters and students in a roundabout manner, of course, of the details concerning the fall of House de Vere. Many knew the rumors of that eventful night. Some even detailed the battle methods used by the victorious house. None, though, would name the perpetrating house. And then Zabarandon, one did not utter anything resembling an accusation, even if the belief was commonly shared. Without enough undeniable proof to spur the ruling council into a unified action against the accused, if a house botched a raid and was discovered, the wrath of all Menzelbranson would descend upon it until the family came, the family name had been extinguished. But in the case of the successfully executed attack, such as the one that felled House Devere, an accuser was the one most likely to wind up at the wrong end of a snake-headed whip. Public embarrassment, perhaps more than any guidelines of honor turned the wheels of justice in the city of Drow. Alton now sought other means for the solution to his quest. First he had tried the lower plains, the ice devil, to disastrous effect. Now Alton had in his possession an item that could end his frustrations, a tome penned by a wizard of the surface world. In the Drow hierarchy, only the clerics of Loth dealt with the realm of the dead, but in other societies... Wizards also dabbled into the spirit world. Alton had found the book in the library of Sociere, and had managed to translate enough of it. He believed to make a spiritual contact. He wrung his hands together, gingerly opened the book to the marked page, and scanned the incantation one final time. "'Are you ready?' he asked Massage. "'No.' Alton ignored the student's unending sarcasm and placed his hands flat on the table. He slowly sunk into his deepest meditative trance. Feyenoord, he paused and cleared his throat at the slip. Massage, though he had not closely examined the spell, recognized the mistake. Feyenoord, Damin. Another pause. Loth be with us, Massage groaned under his breath. Alton's eyes popped wide, and he glared at the student. A translation, he growled, from the strange language of a human wizard. Gibberish, Nassaj retorted. I have in front of me the private spellbook of a wizard from the surface world, Alton said evenly. An archmage, according to the scribbling of their Orkin thief who stole it and sold it to our agents. He composed himself again and shook his hairless head, trying to return to the depths of his trance. A simple, stupid orc managed to steal a spell book from an archmage, Massage whispered rhetorically, letting the absurdity of the statement speak for itself. The wizard was dead, Alton roared. The book is authentic. Who translated it? Massage replied calmly. Alton refused to listen to any more arguments. Ignoring the smug look on Massage's face, he began again. de <clears throat> 
Massage faded out and tried to rehearse a lesson from one of his classes, hoping that his sobs of laughter wouldn't disturb Alton. He didn't believe for a moment that Alton's attempt would prove successful, but he didn't want to screw up the fool's line of babbling again and have to suffer through the ridiculous incantation all the way from the beginning still another time. A short time later, when Massage heard Alton's excited whisper, Matron Jennifer, he slowly focused his attention back on the events at hand. Sure enough, an unusual ball of green-hued smoke appeared over the candle's flame and gradually took a more definitive shape. Matron Jennifer, Alton ga gasped again when the summons was complete. Hovering before him was the unmistakable image of his dead mother's face. The spirit scanned the room, confused. "'Who are you?' it asked at length. "'I am Alton. Alton Devere, your son.' "'Son?' the spirit asked. "'Your child.' "'I remember. No child so very ugly.' A disguise, Alton replied quickly, looking back at Massage and, and expecting a snicker. If Massage had chided and doubted Alton before, he now showed only sincere respect. Smiling, Alton continued, Just a disguise, that I might move about the city and exact revenge upon our enemies. What city? Men's of Branson, of course. Still, the spirit seemed not to understand. "'You are Jennifer?' Alton pressed. "'Matron Jennifer de Vere.' The spirit's features contorted into a twisted scowl as I considered the question. "'I was... I think...' "'Matron mother of House de Vere, fourth house of Menzelbranzin.' Alton prompted, growing more excited. High Priestess of Love! The mention of the Spider Queen sent a spark through the spirit. Oh, no! It balked. Jennifer remembered now. You should not have done this, my ugly son. It is just a disguise, Alton interrupted. I must leave you. Jennifer's spirit continued, glancing around nervously. You must release me. But I need some information from you, Matron Jennifer. Do not call me that. The spirit shrieked. You do not understand. I am not in love's favor. Trub trouble, whispered Massage offhandedly, hardly surprised. Just one answer, Alton demanded, refusing to let in another opportunity to learn his enemy's identity slip past him. Quickly, the spirit shrieked. The name... The house that destroyed Devere. The house? Jennifer pondered. Yes, I remember that evil night. It was house. The ball of smoke puffed and bent out of shape, twisting Jennifer's image and sending her next words out as an undecipherable blurb. Alton leaped to his feet. No! He screamed. You must tell me who are my enemies. <laughs> Would you count me as one? The spirit image said in a voice very different from the one it had used earlier, a tone of sheer power that stole the blood from Alton's face. The image twisted and transformed, became something ugly, 
uglier than Alton, hideous beyond all experience on the material plane. Alton was not a cleric, of course, and he had never studied the drow religion beyond the basic tenets taught to males of the race. He knew the creature now, hovering in the air before him, though, for it appeared as an oozing, slimy stick of melted wax, a yochlol, a handmaiden of loth. You dare disturb the torment of Jinife? The yochlol snarled. "'Damn!' whispered Massage, sliding slowly down under the t black tablecloth. Even he, with all of his doubts of Alton, had not expected this dis his disfigured mentor to land them in trouble this serious. "'But,' Alton stuttered, "'never again disturb this pl plain, feeble wizard,' the Yuklaw roared. "'I did not try for the abyss,' Alton protested meekly. "'I only meant to speak with—' With Jinefei, the Yoklul snarled, fallen priestess of Loth, where would you expect to find her spirit, foolish male, frolicking in Olympus with the false gods of the surface elves? I did not think. Do you ever? the Yoklul growled. Nope, Massage answered silently, careful to keep himself as far out of the way as possible. Never again disturb this plain, the Yoklo warned a final time. The Spider Queen is not merciful and has no tolerance for meddling males. The creature's oozing face puffed and swelled, expanding beyond the limits of the smoky ball. Alton heard gurgling, gagging noises, and he stumbled back over a stool, putting his back flat against the wall and bringing his arms up defensively in front of his face. The Yoklo's mouth opened impossibly wide and spewed forth a hail of small objects. They ricocheted off Alton and tapped against the wall all around him. Stones? The faceless wizard wondered in confusion. One of the objects then answered his unspoken question. It caught hold of Alton's layered black robes and began crawling up toward its, his exposed neck. Spiders! A wave of the eight-legged beasts rushed under the little table, sending Massage tumbling out the other side in a desperate roll. He scrambled to his feet and turned back to see Alton slapping and stomping wildly, trying to get out of the main host of the crawling things. "'Do not kill them!' Massage screamed. "'To kill spiders is forbidden by the—' "'To the nine hells of the clerics and their laws!' Alton shrieked back. Massage shrugged in helpless agreement, reached around under the folds of his own robes, and produced a— same two-handed crossbow he had used to kill the face one those three years ago. He considered the more powerful weapon and tiny spiders scrambling around the room. Overkill, he asked aloud, hearing no answer. He shrugged again and fired. The heavy bolt knifed across Alton's shoulder, cutting a deep line. The wizard stared in disbelief, then turned an ugly grimace on Massage. You had one on your shoulder, the student explained. Alton's scowl did not relent. Ungrateful, Massage snarled. Foolish Alton, all of the spiders are on your side of the room, remember? Massage turned to leave and called, Good hunting, over his shoulder. He reached for the handle to the door, but as his long fingers closed around it, the portal's surface transformed into the image of Matron Jennifer. 
She smiled widely, too widely, and an impossibly long and wet tongue reached out and licked massage across the face. Alton! he cried, spinning back against the wall out of the slimy member's reach. He noticed the wizard in the midst of spellcasting. Alton, fighting to hold his concentration as a host of spiders, continued their hungry ascent up his flowing robes. You are a dead one, Massage counted, commented matter-of-factly, shaking his head. Alton fought through the exacting ritual of the spell, ignored his own revulsion of the crawling things, and forced the evocation to completion. In all his years of study, Alton never would have believed he could do such a thing. He would have laughed at the mere mention of it. Now, however, it seemed a far preferable fate to the Yawklaw's creeping doom. He dropped the fireball at his own feet. Naked and hairless, Massage stumbled through the door and out of the inferno. The flaming faceless master came next, diving into a roll and stripping his tattered and burning robes from his back as he went. As he watched Alton patting out the last of the flames, a pleasant memory flashed in Massage's mind, and he uttered the single lament that dominated his every thought at this disastrous moment. I should have killed him when I had him in the web. A short time later, after Massage had gone back to his room in his studies, Alton slipped on the ornamental metallic bracers that identified him as a master of the academy and slipped outside the structure of Sorciere. He moved to the wide and sweeping stairway leading down from Tierbrech and sat down to take in the sights of Menzel Branson. Even with his this view, though, the city did little to distract Alton from thoughts of his latest failure. For sixteen years he had forsaken all other dreams and ambitions in his desperate search to find the guilty house. For sixteen years he had failed. He wondered how long he could keep up the charade and his spirits. Massage, his only friend, if Massage could be called a friend, was more than halfway through his studies at Sociere. What would Alton do when Massage graduated and returned to House Honnette? Perhaps I shall carry on my toils for centuries to come, he said aloud, only to be murdered by a desperate student as I, as Massage murdered the faceless one. Might that student disfigure himself and take my place? Alton couldn't stop the ironic chuckle that passed his lipless smile at the notion of a perpetual, faceless master of sorcery. At what point would matron-mistress of the academy get suspicious? A thousand years? Ten thousand? Or might the faceless one outlive Menzo Branson itself? Life as a master was not such a bad lot, Alton supposed. Many drow would sacrifice much to be given such an honor. Alton dropped his face into the crook of his elbow and forced away such ridiculous thoughts. He was not a real master, nor did the stolen position bring him any measure of satisfaction. Perhaps Massage should have shot him in that, that day, sixteen years ago, when Alton was trapped in the faceless one's web. Alton's despair only deepened when he considered the actual time frame involved. He had just passed his seventieth birthday and was still young by drow standards. 
The notion that only a tenth of his life was behind him was not a comforting one to Alton Devere this night. How long will I survive? he asked himself. How long until this madness that is my existence consumes me? Alton looked back out over the city. Better that the faceless one had killed me, he whispered. For now I am Alton of no house worth mentioning. Massage had dubbed him that on the first morning after House de Vere's fall, but way back then, with his life teetering on the edge of a crossbow, Alton had not understood the title's implications. Benza Baranzan was nothing more than a collection of individual houses. A rogue commoner might latch on to one of them to call his own, but a rogue noble wouldn't likely be accepted by any house in the city. He was left with Sorciere and nothing more, until his true identity was discovered at last. What punishments would he then face for the crime of killing a master? Massage may have committed the crime, but Massage had a house to defend him. Alton was only a rogue noble. <clears throat> he sat back on his elbows and watched the rising heat light of Narbondle. As the minutes became hours, Alton's despair and self-pity went through inevitable change. He turned his attention to the individual drow houses now, not to the conglomeration that bound them as a city, and he wondered what dark secrets each harbored. One of them, Alton reminded himself, held the secret that he most dearly wanted to know. One of them had wiped out House Devere. Forgotten was the night's failure with Matron Jennifer and the Yoklo. Forgotten was the lament for an early death. Sixteen years is not so long a time, Alton decided. He had perhaps seven centuries of life left within the slen his slender f f frame. If he had to, Alton was prepared to spend every minute of those long years searching for the perpetrating house. Vengeance, he growled aloud, kneading, feeding off that audible reminder of his only reason for continuing to draw breath. Chapter 8 Kindred Zack pressed in with a series of low thrusts. Drizzt tried to back away quickly and return to even footing, but the relentless assault followed his every step, and he was forced to keep his movements solely on the defensive. More often than not, Drizzt found the hilt of his weapons closer to Zack than the blades. Zack then dropped into a low crouch and came up under Drizzt's defense. Drizzt twirled his scimitars in a masterful cross, but he had to straighten stiffly to dodge the weapon master's equally deft assault. Drizzt knew that he had been set up, and he fully expected the next attack, as Zack shifted his weight to his back leg and dove in, both sword tips aimed for Drizzt's loins. Driz spat a silent curse and spun his scimitars into a downward cross, meaning to use the V of his blades to catch the teacher's swords. On a sudden impulse, Driz hesitated as he in intercepted Zack's weapons, and he jumped away instead, taking a painful slap on the side of one thigh. Disgusted, he threw both of the scimitars to the floor. Zack, too, leaped back. He held his swords out to his sides, a look of sincere confusion on his face. You should have not... "'Have missed that move,' he said bluntly. "'The parry is wrong,' Drizzt replied. "'Awaiting further explanation, Zack lowered one sword-tip to the floor and leaned on the weapon. 
In past years, Zach had wounded, even killed students for such blatant defiance. The cross down defeats the attack, but to what gain, Jers continued. When the move is completed, my sword tip remains down to low for any effective attack routine, and you are able to slip back and free. But you have defeated my attack. Only to face another, Drizzt argued. The best position I can hope to obtain from the cross down is an even stance. Yes, Zack prompted, not understanding his student's problem with that scenario. Remember your own lesson, Driz shouted. Every move should bring an advantage. You preach to me, but I see no advantage in using the cross down. You recite only one part of that lesson for your own purpose, Zack scolded, now growing equally angry. Complete the phrase or use it not at all. Every move should bring an advantage or take away a disadvantage. The cross down defeats the double thrust low, and your opponents obviously have gained the advantage if he even attempts such a daring offensive maneuver. Returning to an even stance is far preferable at that moment. The parry is wrong, Driz said stubbornly. Pick up your blades, Zack growled at him, taking a threatening step forward. Driz hesitated and Jack Zack charged, his swords leading. Driz dropped to a crouch, snatched up his scimitars, and rose to meet the assault while wondering if it wasn't another lesson or a true attack. The weapon master pressed furiously, snapping off cut after cut and backing Drist around in circles. Drist defended well enough and began to notice an all-too-familiar pattern as Zack's attacks came consistently lower, again forcing the hilts of Drist's weapons up and out over his, the scimitar blades. Drist understood that Zack meant to prove his point with actions, not words. Seeing the fury on Zack's face, though, Drizzt wasn't certain how far the weapon master would carry his point. As if Zack proved correct in his observations, would he strike again to Drizzt's thigh or to his heart? Zack came up and under the drip and Drizzt stiffened and straightened. Double thrust low, the weapon master growled and his swords dove in. Drizzt was ready for him. He executed the cross down, smiling smugly at the ring of metal as the scimitars crossed over the thrusting swords. Driz then followed through with only one of his blades, thinking he could deflect both of Zack's swords well enough in that manner. Now, with one blade free of the parry, Driz spun it over in a de devious counter. As soon as Driz reversed the one hand, Zack saw the ploy, a ruse he had suspected Driz would try. Zack dropped one of his own sword tips, the one nearest to the hilt of Drizzt's single parrying blade, to the ground, and Drizzt, trying to maintain an even resistance and balance along the length of blocking scimitar, lost his balance. Drizzt was quick enough to catch himself before he had stumbled too far, though his knuckles pinched into the stone of the floor. He still believed that he had Zack caught in his trap and that he could finish the brilliant counter. He took a short step forward to regain his full balance. The weapon master dropped straight down to the floor, under the arc of Drizzt's swinging scimitar, and spun a single circuit, driving his booted heel into the back of Drizzt's exposed knee. Before Drizzt had even realized the attack, he found himself lying flat on his back. Zack abruptly broke his own momentum and threw his feet back under him. Before Drizzt could begin to understand the dizzying counter-counter, he found the weapon master standing over him with the tip of Zack's sword 
painfully and pointedly, drawing a tiny drop of blood from his throat. "'Have you anything to say?' Zack growled. "'The parry is wrong!' Drizzt answered. Zack's laughter erupted from his belly. He threw his sword to the ground, reached down, and pulled the stubborn young student to his feet. He quickly, he calmed quickly, his gaze finding that of Drizzt's lavender orbs as he pushed the student out to arm's length. Zack marveled the ease of Drizzt's stance, the way he held the twin scimitars almost as if they were a natural extension of his arms. Drizzt had been in training only a few months, but already he had mastered the use of nearly every weapon in the vast armory of House Doerden. Those scimitars, Drizzt's chosen weapons, with curving blades that enhanced the dizzying flow of the young fighter's sweeping battle style. With those scimitars in hand, his this young drow, barely more than a child, could outfight half the members of the academy, and shiver and a shiver tingled through Zack's spine when he pondered just how magnificent Drizzt would become after years of training. It was not just the physical abilities and potential of Drizzt Dwarden that made Zagnafian pause and take note. However, Zack had come to realize that Drow's temperament was indeed different from that of the average Drow. Drizzt was in possessed a spirit of innocence and lacked any maliciousness. Zack couldn't help but feel proud when he looked upon Drizzt. In all manners, the young drow held to the same principles, morals so unusual, Menza Branson, as Zack. Drizzt had recognized the connection as well, though he had no idea of how unique his and Zack's shared perceptions were in the evil drow world. He realized that Uncle Zack was different from any of the other dark elves he had come to know, though that included only his own family and a few dozen of the house soldiers. Certainly Zack was much different from Brisa, Drizzt's oldest sister, with her zealous, almost blind ambitions in the mysterious religion of Loth. Certainly Zack was different from his matron Malice, Drizzt's mother, who seemed never to say anything at all to Drizzt unless it was a command for service. Zack was able to smile at situations that didn't necessarily bring pain to anyone. He was the first drow Drizzt had met who had apparently, who was apparently content with his station in life. Uh. Zack was the first drow Drizzt had ever heard laugh. A good try, the weapon master conceded of Drizzt's failed counter. In a real battle, I would have been dead, Drizzt replied. Surely, Zack said Zack, but that is why we train. Your plan was masterful, your timing perfect. Only the situation was wrong. Still, I will say it was a good try. You expected it, said the student. Zack smiled and nodded. That is, perhaps, because I had seen the maneuver attempted by another student. Against you, Drizzt asked, feeling a little less special now that he knew his battle insights were not so unique. Hardly, Zack replied with a wink. I watched the counter fail from the same angle as you to the same result. Drizzt's face brightened again. We think alike, he commented. We do, said Zack, but my knowledge has been increased by four centuries of experience while you have not even lived through a score of years. Trust me, my eager student, the cross down is the correct parry. 
Perhaps, Trist replied. Zack hid a smile. When you find a better counter, we shall try it. But until then, trust my word. I have trained more soldiers than I can count. All the army of House Dorden, and ten times that number when I served as a master of Mille Mithari. I taught Risen, all of your sisters, and both of your brothers. Both? I... Zack paused and shot a curious glance at Trist. I see, he said after a moment. They never bothered to tell you. Zack wondered if it was his place to tell Driz the truth. He doubted that Matron Malice would care either way. She probably hadn't told Driz simply because she hadn't considered the story of Nalfian's death worth telling. Yes, both, Zack decided to explain. You had two brothers when you were born. Dinan, whom you know, and an older one, Nalfian, a wizard of considerable power. Nalfian was killed in battle on the very night you drew your first breath. Against dwarves or vicious gnomes? Drizzt squeaked as wide-eyed as a child begging for a frightening bedtime story. Was he defending the city from evil conquerors or rogue monsters? Zack had a hard time reconciling the warped perception of Drizzt's innocent beliefs. Bury the young in lies, he lamented under his breath, but Drizzt... He answered, no. Then against some opponent more foul, Driz pressed. Wicked elves from the surface? He died at the hands of a drow, Zack snapped in frustration, stealing the eagerness from Driz's shining eyes. Driz slumped back to consider the possibilities, and Zack could hardly bear to watch the confusion that twisted his young face. War with another city? Driz asked somberly. I did not know. Zack let it go at that. He turned and moved silently toward his private chamber. Let Malice or one of her lackeys destroy Drizzt's innocent logic. Behind him, Drizzt held his next line of questions in check, understanding that the conversation and the lesson was at an, an, at an end, understanding, too, that something important had just transpired. The weapon master battled Driz through long hours as the days blended into weeks and the weeks into months. Time became unimportant. They fought until exhaustion overwhelmed them and went back to the training floor again as soon as they were able. By the third year, at the age of nineteen, Driz was able to hold out for hours against the weapon master, even taking the offensive in many of the contests. Zack enjoyed these days. For the first time in many years, he had met one with the potential to become his fighting equal. For the first time that Zack could ever remember, laughter had accompanied the clash of adamantite weapons in the training room. He watched Driz grow tall and straight, attentive, eager, and intelligent. The masters of the academy would be hard put just to hold a stalemate against Driz, even in his first year. That thought thrilled the weapon master only as long as it took him to remember the principles of the academy, the precepts of drow life, and what they would do to his wonderful student. How they would steal that smile from Drizzt's lavender eyes. A pointed reminder of that drow world outside the practice room visited them one day in the person of Matron Malice. Address her with proper respect, Drizzt warned. Zack warned Drizzt when Maya announced the matron mother's entrance. 
The weapon master prudently moved out a few steps to greet the head of House Dorn privately. My greetings, matron, he said with a low bow. To what do I owe the honor of your presence? Matron Malice laughed at him, seeing through his facade. So much time do you and my son spend in here, she said. I came to witness the benefit to the boy. He is a fine fighter, Zack assured her. He will have to be, Malice muttered. He goes to the academy in only a year. Zack narrowed his eyes at her doubting words and growled. The academy has never seen a finer swordsman. The matron walked away from him to stand before Driz. I doubt not your prowess with a blade, she said to Driz, though she shot a sly gaze back at Zack as he, she spoke the words. You have the proper blood. There are other qualities that make up a drow warrior. Qualities of the heart, the attitude of a warrior. Driz didn't know how to respond to her. He, he had seen her only a few times in all the last three years, and they had exchanged no words. Zack saw the confusion on Driz's face and feared that the boy would slip up, precisely what Matron Malice wanted. Then Malice would have an excuse to pull Driz out of Zack's tutelage, dishonoring Zack in the process and give him over to Dinan or some other passionless killer. Zack may have been the finest instructor with the blade, but now that Drizzt had learned the use of weapons, Malice wanted him emotionally hardened. Zack couldn't risk it. He valued his time with young Drizzt too much. He pulled his swords from their jeweled scabbards and charged right by Matron Malice, yelling, "'Show her, young warrior!' Drizzt's eyes became burning flames at the approach of his wild instructor. His scimitars came into his hands as quickly as if he had willed them to appear." It was a good thing they had. Zack came in on Drizzt with a fury that the young drow had never before seen, more so than even the time Zack had shown Drizzt the value of the cross-down parry. Sparks flew as swords rang against scimitar and sword, and Drizzt found himself driven back, both of his arms already aching from the thudding force of the heavy blows. "'What are you?' Drizzt tried to speak. "'Show her!' Zack growled, slamming in again and again. Drizzt barely dodged one cut that surely would have killed him. Still, confusion kept his moves purely defensive. Zack slapped one of Drizzt's scimitars, then the other, out wide and used an unexpected weapon, bringing his foot straight up in front of him and slamming his heel into Drizzt's nose. Drizzt heard the crackle and cartilage and felt Drizzt heard the crackle of cartilage and felt the warmth of his own blood running freely down his face. He dove back into a roll, trying to keep a safe distance from his crazed opponent until he could realign his senses. From his knees he saw Zack a short distance away and approaching. Show her! Zack growled angry, angrily with every determined step. The purple flames of fairy fire limbed Driz's skin, making him an easier target. He responded the only way he could. He dropped a globe of darkness over himself and Zack. Sensing the weapon master's next move, Drizzt dropped to his belly and scrambled out, keeping his head low. A wise choice. At his first realization of the darkness, Zack had quickly levitated up about ten feet and rolled right over, sweeping his blades down to Drizzt's face level. When Drizzt came clear of the other side of the darkened globe, he looked back and saw only the lower half of Zack's legs. He didn't need to watch anything more to understand the weapon master's deadly blind attacks. Zack would have cut him apart if he had not dropped low in the darkness. Anger replaced confusion. When Zack dropped from his magical perch and came rushing back out of 
the front of the globe, Drizzt let his rage lead him back into the fight. He spun a pirouette just before he reached Sack, his lead scimitar cutting a gracefully arcing line and his other following in a deceptively sharp stab straight over that line. Zack dodged the thrusting point and put a backhand block on the other. Drizzt wasn't finished. He set his thrusting blade into a series of short, wicked pokes that kept Drizzt on the retreat for a dozen steps or more, back into the conjured darkness. They now had to rely on their incredibly keen sense of hearing and their instincts. Zack finally managed to regain a foothold, but Drizzt immediately set his own feet into action, kicking away whenever the balance of his swinging blades allowed for it. One foot even slipped through Zack's defenses, blasting the breath from the weapon master's lungs. They came back out of the globe, and Zack, too, glowed in the outline of fairy fire. The weapon master felt sickened by the hatred etched on his young student's face, but he realized that this time neither he nor Drizzt had been given a choice in the matter. This fight had to be ugly, had to be real. Gradually, Zack settled into an easy rhythm, solely defensive, and let Drizzt in his explosive fury wear himself down. Drizzt played on and on, relentless and tireless. Zack coaxed him by letting him see openings where there were none, and Drizzt was always quick to oblige, launching a thrust, cut, or kick. Matron Malice watched the spectacle silently. She couldn't deny the measure of the training Zack had given her son. Drizzt was, physically, more than ready for battle. Zack knew that, too. To Matron Malice, sheer skill with weapons might not be enough. Zack had to keep Malice from conversing with Drizzt for any length of time. She would not approve of her son's attitudes. Drizzt was tired now, Zack could see, though he recognized the wariness of his student's arms to be partly deception. Go with it, he muttered silently, and he suddenly twisted his ankle, his right arm flailing out wide and low as he struggled for balance, opening a hole in his defenses that Driz could not resist. The expected thrust came in a flash, and Zack's left arm streaked in a short cross that slapped the scimitar right out of Driz's hand. Ha! Driz cried, having expected the move and launching his second ruse, his remaining scimitar knifed over Zack's left shoulder, inevitably dipping in the follow-through of the parry. But by the time Drizzt even launched the second blow, Zack was already down to his knees. As Drizzt's blade cut harmlessly high, Zack sprang to his feet and launched a right cross, hilt first, that caught Drizzt squarely in the face. A stunned Drizzt leaped back a long step and stood perfectly still for a long moment. His remaining scimitar dropped to the ground, and his glossed eyes did not blink. A faint within a faint within a faint, as Zack calmly explained. Drizzt slumped to the floor, unconscious. Major Malice nodded her approval as Zack walked back over to her. He is ready for the academy, she remarked. Zack's face turned sour, and he did not answer. Vienna's there already, Malice continued, to teach as a mistress of Arachtinolith the school of Loth. It is a high honor. A laurel for House Dorden, Zack knew, but he was smart enough to keep his thoughts silent. Dinan will leave soon, said the matron. Zack was surprised. Two, two children serving as masters in the academy at the same time? You must have worked hard to get such accommodations, he dared to remark. Matron Malice smiled. Favors owed, favors called in. To what end? Z asked Zack. Protection for Drizzt? Malice laughed aloud. Of 
What have I just witnessed? Trist would more likely protect the other two. Zack bit his lip at the comment. Dinan was still twice the fighter and ten times the heartless killer as Drizzt. Zack knew that Malice had no other motives. Had other motives. Three of the first eight houses will be represented by no fewer than four children in the Academy over the next two decades, Matron Malice admitted. Matron Vianre's own son will begin in the same class as Drizzt. So you have aspirations, Zack said. How high, then, will House Dorden climb under the guidance of Matron Malice? Sarcasm will cost you your tongue, the matron mother warned. We would be fools to let slip by such an opportunity to learn more of our rivals. The first eight houses, Zack mused. Be cautious, matron Malice. Do not forget to watch for rivals among the lesser houses. There once was a house named Avere that made such a mistake. No attack will come from behind, Malice sneered. We are the ninth house, but boast more power than but a handful of others. None will strike at our backs. There are easier targets higher up the line. And all to our gain, Zack put in. That is the point of it all, is it not? Malice asked, her evil smile wide on her face. Zack did not need to respond. The matron knew his true feelings. That precisely was not the point. Speak less and your jaw will heal faster, Zack said later, when he again was alone with Drizzt. Drizzt cast him a vile glance. The weapon master shook his head. We have become great friends, he said. So I had thought, mumbled Drizzt. Then think clearly, Zack scolded. Do you believe that Matron Malice would approve of such a bonding between her weapon master and her youngest, her prized youngest son? You are a drow, Drizdorden, and a noble birth. You may have no friends. Driz straightened as if he had been slapped in the face. None openly, at least, Zack conceded, laying a comforting hand on the youngest, youngster's shoulder. Friends equate to vulnerability, inexcusable vulnerability. Matron Malice would never accept... He paused, realizing that he was browbeating his student. Well, he admitted in quiet conclusion, at least we two know who we are. Somehow to Drizzt, that just didn't seem enough. Come quickly, Zack instructed Drizzt one evening after they had finished their sparring. By the urgency of the weapon master's tone, and by the fact that Zack didn't even pause to wait for Driz, Driz knew that something important was happening. He finally caught up to Zack on the balcony of House Dorden, where Maya and Brisa already stood. What is it? Driz asked. Zack pulled him close and pointed out across the great cavern to the northern, northeastern reaches of the city. Lights flashed and faded in sudden bursts. A pillar of fire rose into the air, then disappeared. A raid, Brisa said offhandedly. Minor houses and of no concern to us. Zack saw that Driz did not understand. One house he has, has attacked another, he explained. Revenge, perhaps, but most likely an attempt to climb a higher rank in the city. The battle has been long, Brisa remarked, and still the lights flash. Zack continued to clarify the event for the confused second boy of the house. 
The attackers should have blocked the battle with, within rings of darkness. Their inability to do so might indicate that the defending house was ready for the raid. Oh, can that be going well for the attackers, Maya agreed. Driz could hardly believe what he was hearing. Even more alarming than the news itself was the way his family talked about the event. They were so calm in their descriptions, as if this was an unexpected occurrence. The attackers must leave no witnesses, Zach explained to Trist, else they will face the wrath of the ruling council. But we are witnesses, Trist reasoned. No, Zach replied, we are onlookers. The battle is none of our affair. Only the nobles of the defending house are awarded the right to place accusations against their attackers. If any nobles are left alive, Brisa added, obviously enjoying the drama. At that moment, Drizzt wasn't sure if he liked this new revelation. However, he might have felt he found that he could not tear his gaze from the continuing spectacle of the drow battle. All the Dorden compound was astir now, soldiers and slaves running about in search of a better vantage point and shouting out descriptions of the action and rumors of the perpetrators. This was drow society in all its macabre play, and while it seemed ultimately wrong in the heart of the youngest member of House Dorden, Driz could not deny the excitement of the night. Nor could, could Driz deny the expressions of obvious pleasure stamped upon the faces of the three who shared the balcony with him. Alton made his way through his private chambers one final time to make certain that any artifacts or tomes that might seem even the least bit sacrilegious were safely hidden. He was expecting a visit from a matron mother, a rare occasion for a master of the academy not connected with Arachnolith, the school of Loth. Alton was more than a little anxious about the motives of this particular visitor, matron Sinefe Honet head of the city's fifth house and mother of Massage, Alton's partner in conspiracy. A bang on the stone door of the outermost chamber in his complex told Alton that his guest had arrived. He straightened his robes and took yet another glance around the room. The door swung open before Alton could get there, and Matron Sinefe swept into the room. How easily she made the transformation, walking from the absolute dark of the outside corridor into the candlelight of Alton's chamber without so much as a flinch. Sinefe was smaller than Alton had imagined, diminutive even by the standards of the drow. She stood barely more than four feet high and weighed, by Alton's estimation, no more than fifty pounds. She was a matron mother, though, and Alton reminded himself that she could strike him dead with a single spell. Alton averted his gaze obediently and tried to convince himself that there was nothing unusual about the visit. He grew less at ease, however, when Massage trotted in into his mother's side, a smug smile on his face. Greetings from House Honet, Jelrus, Matron Sinefe said. Twenty-five years and more it has been since we last talked. Jelrus, Alton mumbled under his breath. He cleared his throat to cover his surprise. My greetings to you, Matron Sinefe, he managed to stammer. Has it been so very long? You should come to the house, the matron said. Your chambers remain empty. My chambers? Alton began to feel very sick. Sinefe did not miss the look. The scowl crossed her face and her eyes narrowed evilly. 
Alton suspected that his secret was out. If the faceless one had been a member of the Honette family, how could Alton hope to fool the matron mother of the house? He scanned for the best escape route, or for some way he could at least kill the traitor's massage before Senefe struck him down. When he looked back toward matron Senefe, she had already begun a quiet spell. Her eyes popped wide at its completion, her suspicions confirmed. "'Who are you?' she asked, her voice sounding more curious than concerned. There was no escape, no way to get at Massage, standing prudently close to the powerful mother's side. "'Who are you?' Sinefe asked again, taking a three-headed instrument from her belt, the dreaded snake-headed whip that injected the most painful and incapacitating poison known to drow. "'Alton!' he stuttered, having no choice but to answer. He knew that since she now was on her guard, Senefe would use simple magic to detect any lies he might concoct. I am Alton Devere. Devere? Matron Senefe appeared at least intrigued. Of the house, Devere, that died some years ago? I am the only survivor, Alton admitted. And you killed Jalrus. Jalrus Hunet? And took his place as master and sorcerer? The matron reasoned, her voice a snarl. Doom closed in all around Alton. I did not. I could not know his name. He would have killed me, Alton stuttered. I killed Jalrus, came a voice from the side. Senefe and Alton turned to Massage, who once again held his favorite two-handed crossbow. With this, the Hornet explained, on the night House Tavir fell, I found my excuse in Jalrus' battle with a... That one, he pointed to Alton. Jalrus was your brother, Matron Senefe reminded Massage. Damn his bones, Massage spat. For four miserable years I served him, served him as if he were a matron mother. He, he would have kept me from sorcery, would have forced me into the Mille McFairy instead. The matron looked from Massage to Alton and back to her son. And you let this one live, she reasoned, a smile again on her lips. You killed your enemy and forged an alliance with a new master in a single move. As I was taught, Massage said through clenched teeth, not knowing whether punishment or praise would follow. You were just a child, Senefe remarked, suddenly realizing the timetable involved. Massage accepted the compliment silently. Alton watched it all anxiously. Then what of me, he cried, is my life forfeit? Senefe turned the glare on him. Your life as Alton Devere ended, so it would seem, on the night House Devere fell. Thus you remain the faceless one, Jalrus Hunet. I can use your eyes in the academy to watch over my son and my enemies. Alton could hardly breathe. To so suddenly find himself allied with one of the most powerful houses in Menzel Baranzen? A jumble of possibilities and questions flooded his mind, one in particular which had haunted him for nearly two decades. His adopted matron mother recognized excitement. "'Speak your thoughts,' she commanded. "'You are a high priestess of Loth,' Alton said boldly, that one notion overpowering all caution. "'It is within your power to grant me my fondest desire.' "'You dare ask a favor?' Matron Senefe balked, though she saw the torment on Alton's face and was intrigued by the apparent importance of this mystery. "'Very well.' "'What house destroyed my family?' Alton growled. 
ask the netherworld, I beg, Matron Sinefe. Sinefe considered the question carefully and possibilities of Alton's apparent thirst for vengeance. Another benefit of allowing this one into the family? Sinefe wondered. This is known to me already, she replied. Perhaps when you have proven your value, I will tell— No! Alton cried. He stopped short, realizing that he had interrupted the matron mother, a crime that could invoke a punishment of death. Sinefe held back her angry urges. This question must be very important to you to act so foolishly, she said. Please, Alton begged, I must know. Kill me if you will, but tell me first who it was. Sinefe liked his courage, and his, his obsession could only prove of value to her. House Dorden, she said. Dorden? Alton echoed, hardly believing that a house so far back in the city, Eric could have defeated House de Vere. You will take no actions against them, Matron Sinefe warned, and I will forgive your insolence this time. You are a son of House Hunet now. Remember always your place. She let it stay at that, knowing that one who had been clever enough to carry out such a deception for the better part of two decades would not be foolish enough to disobey the matron mother of his house. Come, Massage, Sinefe said to her son, let us leave this one alone so that he may consider his new identity. Here we are at the end of another episode. Unfortunately, this time I was unable to finish the complete chapter, so when I start with the next episode, we shall start at the same place and continue on from there. All right, Salvatore's The Legend of Driz series, Book One, Homeland. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.